Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, Doc on the Run, a sports medicine podiatrist, an expert in foot and ankle injuries and running biomechanics. But more importantly to you, I'm a real runner, a marathoner, and an Ironman triathlete. I take care of patients and train for Ironmans in San Francisco, so I can only see so many patients. But I created this podcast for you, so that you can benefit from all of my training and experience, so that you can learn more about your running injuries. If you're here to learn more about foot and ankle injuries and how to keep running, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Doc on the Run. Now let's get started. Today we're going to talk about stress fractures in the foot and all of the various myths that I hear from runners and doctors alike. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast where we help you understand how to keep training and running even if you've been injured. You know, stress fractures are one of the most common injuries affecting runners. In fact, studies have reported that up to 20% of all visits to sports medicine clinics are related to stress fractures. And many times when a runner gets a any kind of aching sensation in the foot, they start to worry that it might be a stress fracture that's going to completely wreck their training, halt their progress, and ruin their performance at a key race. Well, this does happen. So first, I'm going to give you an example of a real patient that had a stress fracture that completely screwed up his race season after he continued to run on it. He'd been rapidly increasing his mileage while training for an Olympic distance triathlon. Now, he started noticing a vague aching sensation in the foot one day during a run. The next day, the foot was sore, but by the end of the workday, it was throbbing. Now, he took a couple of days off from the running because he was worried about this, and he rode his bike instead. It started to feel a little bit better, so he resumed running a couple of days later. Then he noticed a dull ache in his foot with every single step during his run. And when he took his shoe off later that day, he noticed some bruising on the foot as well. But he kept running anyway. By the time I finally saw him, he'd been running on this painful, aching foot, trying to ignore it for about five weeks. The foot was swollen, it was tender, it was bruised. And as soon as we took an x-ray of the foot, it was obvious that he'd fractured the fifth metatarsal bone. Not just a stress fracture, but a complete fracture of the bone. He had to have foot surgery, in fact, to repair the broken bone to allow it to heal. I mean, we were able to fix this, so it wasn't a complete disaster, but you know, we did have to go to the operating room, and I did have to actually put the bone back together, screw it together, and then he had to heal, and that completely ruined his seizing. So this is not really complicated. Foot surgery is not a great way to start any running or triathlon training season. The thing is, when I ask most doctors what they think a stress fracture is, they usually say something like, stress fractures are caused by running too much. Well, that kind of reminds me of this little video clip I saw on the news many years ago when I was in medical school. There was there was a snowstorm up in Lake Tahoe, and so they had a reporter at the Blue Canyon Pass where they usually start having accidents uh, as soon as it starts to snow and people go rushing up there to go skiing. And the reporter was interviewing the highway patrolman about traffic accidents in the snow. And while they were standing there, no joke, two cars slid down the highway and collided into each other right behind them. And the reporter spun around pointed the microphone at the police officer and he said, isn't it true that snow causes accidents? And the highway patrolman scowled at him and said, no, driving too fast for conditions causes accidents. And in the same way, running doesn't really cause stress fractures. Stress fractures occur due to overuse or overload of the bone when the rate of stress-induced injury or microfracture or damage to the bone exceeds the rate at which the bone can repair itself. Now, that 
is really the bottom line. So you have to really understand that a stress fracture isn't a simple thing. So most runners seem to have this idea in their mind that they sort of visualize the little crack in the bone that's just a teeny tiny little crack. And that's sort of true, but it's not really the whole truth. So you have to understand that fractures have a whole range of injury. And this is true for stress fractures as well. So the way I try to explain this to patients is I say, okay, if you take a coat hanger, for example, and you start bending the coat hanger back and forth, something happens, right? So first it bends a little bit and your bones do actually bend a little bit. So they they can bend a little bit and absorb stress and move back and forth when you run or you apply a lot of stress or force to the bone. The coat hanger can do the same thing. So you start bending a metal coat hanger back and forth. And if you keep doing that, what you notice after a few times of bending it, it actually starts to get warm. It heats up because of the friction and the movement of the of the metal when you're bending the coat hanger back and forth. Now, if you keep doing that, you just keep bending the coat hanger over and over and over. It really doesn't take that long. In less than a minute, you can break the coat hanger just by bending it back and forth. And that is sort of analogous to stress fractures. When a stress fracture first begins, it's basically inflamed. It's kind of hot. It's kind of angry. It's kind of irritated, just like a coat hanger that's just been bent a few times. But if you continue to run on it, if you continue to ignore it, it will eventually develop a visible crack in the surface of the bone, which most people think of as a stress fracture. If you keep running on that, you just ignore the pain, you ignore the bruising, and you keep running on it, it will predictably get worse. If you keep applying the same level of stress and you're applying more stress than your body can absorb, then the bone will eventually break and then you get what we call a pathologic fracture or basically a completely broken bone. If you then still keep running on it, the broken bone will displace is the medical term for it, but all that means is it moves. It moves out of position because when you're running on it, the ground pushes that piece of bone up out of the way and it shifts out of position. And that is when you get surgery. That's when you wind up in crutches or in a cast and you have a complete disaster in terms of your training season. So that's the whole thing everybody wants to avoid. And that's part of the reason that doctors just want to tell you to stop running the very first things because running is stressful. We all know that. Whether or not you actually have to stop running depends on a lot of different factors and sort of where your injury lands on this continuum of trouble that we think of as a stress fracture. It depends on how much trouble there actually is and how badly injured you actually are. So there are lots of ways to tell this. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the signs of a stress fracture. So the first thing that people get when they are running and they're starting to develop a stress fracture is pain. Again, when you start moving the coat hanger and you bend it and you stress it, it gets a little bit warm. So that's sort of what happens in somebody that starts to get a stress fracture. You get what I think of as a stress response. It's not really a true stress fracture. It's kind of a pre-stress fracture. Basically, the bone has been tweaked a little bit too much. So you're starting to get swelling within the bone and that causes pain. Now, if you keep running on it, the pain gets worse. But if you actually run on it enough to you, you actually do get like what would be a visible crack in the bone. You get a lot of other signs, not just pain, but you get bruising and swelling. So when you bend the bone and you crack it, it bleeds and that bleeding is underneath the skin. And so then you see a bruise, which is really all a bruise is, it's just bleeding up under the skin. And then your body's trying to fix it. So in addition to your body trying to heal this injury, you get swelling. So you have pain, bruising, and swelling in the worst cases. Again, there's a whole range of trouble. And all these different things can help you understand how bad it is and whether or not you can or should run. 
Now, the first thing that doctors should be looking at when they think you have a stress fracture is how much bruising and swelling you have, because after all, these are the worst indicators of a severe stress fracture. The bone cracks and it bleeds. If you don't have any bruising, then it's unlikely that you have a severe stress fracture. It's probably one of the sort of milder versions of a stress fracture or maybe even just a stress response. If you don't have any pain when you push on the stress fracture, then it's also likely to be a much less severe injury and less likely to stop you from running. The same is true of swelling. If you have swelling, that indicates your body's trying to heal something. But the more swelling, the more significant the injury. If you have less swelling, then it's more likely that you can continue to run and still heal. Now, the other thing to consider, of course, is how much pain you have, because pain can be a measure of how bad the problem is. If you're just sitting in a chair right now and your foot is aching, then that would indicate that you have a more severe injury. If you have to run for a few miles before it starts to hurt, then that's certainly farther at the other end of the spectrum, and you're more likely to heal quickly because it's a less severe injury. In that case, if you can just do some simple things to reduce the stress that you're applying to the bone when you run, you might be able to continue to run and still heal. If you push on the metatarsal and it hurts, that might be an indication that the bone is injured and that you do have a stress fracture. So this, again, can be very helpful because it can help you figure out how much pain you have when you push on the metatarsal. And then you can see if that pain reduces or goes down or in some way improves when you institute some of these simple strategies to reduce the stress on the metatarsal while you're continuing to exercise. If you reduce the stress being applied to the bone, you keep running, and the pain level goes down, then that helps you assume that you're heading in the right direction. If the pain level continues to go up and it gets worse over time, then that's an obvious indication that you haven't done enough to reduce the stress, and you're probably continuing to make the thing worse. Again, if the pain goes down, then obviously you're moving in the right direction, and you, in theory, should continue to heal even if you're continuing to train. Now, one of the myths we're going to talk about is um, is x-rays. And many patients think that they say, well, if I have a stress fracture, I should get an x-ray because that will help me understand whether or not I could run. That is totally a myth and just not true. There is a huge range from a few days to many weeks before a stress fracture will even show up on x-rays. So in medical school, we're sort of taught as this basic rule that around six weeks, a stress fracture will start to show up on an x-ray. So this is not complicated. Think about that. If you're training for a race, can you really just wait six weeks to see if you have a stress fracture or not? I mean, absolutely not. You just can't wait six weeks to see if you have a stress fracture if you're trying to train for a race. That doesn't make any sense. The other thing is the timeline is just not true. So there's this whole myth of six weeks for a stress fracture to show up. That's absolutely not true. There's an enormous range. It could be just a couple of weeks before it shows up. It just depends on your body's response to the stress and healing. It could take many weeks, even two or three months before it shows up on an x-ray. And there have been lots of studies that actually show this huge variability in when x-rays will show a stress fracture. So I don't think most patients need x-rays for stress fractures unless the doctors actually confirm that there would be a visible crack in the bone or a complete fracture of the bone that could displace or move out of position if you continue to exercise on it. There are really two reasons why doctors want to take x-rays. One of them is to see that you have a stress fracture and the other one is to prove that you have a stress fracture. What I mean by that and what most patients don't understand is that many times since we as doctors know that the overwhelming majority of patients who have a stress fracture that just developed that they're actually not going to show up on the x-rays, they're not really expecting to see a stress fracture at all. They're basically confirming there isn't something worse going on or some bone tumor or something, but 
I mean, let's face it, they're basically taking the x-rays to mitigate liability. They're taking it to make sure that there wasn't something that they could have missed. But very few doctors that are taking an x-ray of your foot when you just started having pain and you've been running on it believe that they're going to see a stress fracture on the x-ray. So they take an x-ray and they say, okay, well, you don't have any of these other things, so we just assume it's a stress fracture. Now, the other thing is to prove that you had a stress fracture. So what they'll do then is even if you're doing better many weeks later, like four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, you know, sometime later, they will take another x-ray of your foot and then they'll see the changes that indicate you did have a stress fracture. And then they'll say, okay, see, there you go. We, we proved it. You did have a stress fracture. I was right. But again, that's not really going to help you if you're trying to run. So having a doctor take x-rays a couple of times over a period of months doesn't really help you determine whether or not you can run. Many patients also know that MRI is more sensitive than x-rays for injuries, particularly running injuries. And there's no question that an MRI can help diagnose a stress fracture, but it really doesn't do that much to help you determine whether or not you should run. In fact, in most cases, the MRI will look so bad because of all the inflammation that it will really discourage you from running. They can be really sensitive and you can see lots of inflammation and the bone looks really, really angry. It may not be correlating with how bad the injury really is. So, you know, there's always this idea that runners will see this tiny little crack on an MRI, and that's almost never the case. You know, what you actually see on an MRI is inflammation. So when we look at an MRI, an MRI is basically giving you images based on two things, uh, density of tissue with the amount of water and the amount of oil within the bone. So within the bone, the inside of the bone is bone marrow, which is mostly fat or mostly oil. When you get a stress fracture and the bone has been stressed, your body responds to that with inflammation, which is inflammatory fluid, which is mostly water. And that infiltrates the bone. So you get water showing up inside the bone as this bright white signal where normally it's black. That is confirmed as a stress fracture when the doctor looks at you and says, okay, you have all this inflammation in there. You have a stress fracture. Almost never is there a visible crack in the bone. It's only in the severe cases that would probably show up on an x-ray anyway when you would actually see an actual crack on the bone on your MRI. So the MRI doesn't really do that much to help you differentiate whether you're safe to run or not. Now the second myth that we're gonna talk about is this idea of six weeks in a fracture walking boot. This is the most common thing I hear and it's really fascinating to me. I have a lecture I give at medical conferences that I've given a number of times, and it's about treating running injuries. When I give this lecture, the first thing I do is I say, who here sees runners in their practice? All of the hands go up. And then I say, who likes to see runners in their practice? And then virtually all the hands go down. And there'll be two or three doctors in there that keep their hand up. And in most cases, at least one of them is wearing running clothes who, you know, she obviously like went for a run early in the morning and then just actually ran straight to the session so that she could fit in her run and not miss any of the session. The thing is, then what I do is I, I have the first slide. The first slide is an x-ray. It's an x-ray of a foot. And to any doctor, it looks like a fairly obvious fourth metatarsal stress fracture. And I say, anybody know what that is? And some doctor raises their hand. They say, yeah, stress fracture. I say, okay, great, very good. Uh, anybody want to recommend a treatment for that? Another hand goes up. Six weeks in a fracture walking boot. Okay, great. Is there anyone in the room here that disagrees with the idea that this patient should be treated with a fracture walking boot for six weeks to treat this metatarsal stress fracture? Not a word. So then I say, okay, great. And then I move to the next slide. The next slide is a different foot. 
obviously a different metatarsal stress fracture. And I say, does anybody know what that is? Somebody raises their hand, says, yes, that's a stress fracture. Okay, great. Anybody disagree? No hands. Uh, and what's the treatment? And again, somebody raises their hand, said six weeks in a fracture walking boot. And I say, okay, great. Now, all of us agree that the only reasonable way to treat these two patients with metatarsal stress fractures is a fracture walking boot for six weeks. Agreed? Not a word from the audience. So then I move to the next slide. And the next slide is actually the two patients. One of them is a 32-year-old female ultra marathoner who has never been injured, who has a totally healthy diet, but she got a metatarsal stress fracture doing a 100-mile trail race. The other patient is a 74-year-old diabetic who weighs 400 pounds if he weighs an ounce, and he has peripheral vascular disease, renal failure, poorly controlled diabetes. He has every bad medical problem on the planet, and he's taking like 30 different medications. And then I say, okay, is there anybody in this room that believes it's going to take her six weeks to heal? Is there anybody that really believes she needs a boot for six weeks? And then I say, is there one person here that believes even if we admit this guy to the hospital that he's going to heal in six weeks? So why two seconds ago did every doctor in this room think that we need to put both of these patients in a boot for six weeks? Because actually, that's not going to be the appropriate treatment for either one of them. It's just completely unnecessary for her, and it's not enough for him. The thing is, is that six weeks as a general rule is how long it takes to heal a fracture. But what many runners actually have is a stress response. It's not really a true fracture, so it's not really going to take six weeks to heal. Most runners do not need a fracture walking boot for six weeks. Most runners will heal a lot faster than that. In fact, many runners can keep running. That brings us to the next myth, that you have to stop running. Well, that's just not true. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of people who can and have successfully run on metatarsal stress fractures while they were training or racing. The first one I'm going to talk about was actually my wife. Uh, we were in Hawaii in October one year. You know, she has a stressful job. At the time, she was actually pregnant. So that's a stressful thing because you have a baby sucking all the nutrients out of your body. And we, we both like to run, of course. And when we got to Hawaii, the first thing that she did was she went and ran 10 miles. Next morning, she said, my foot kind of hurts. And I looked at it and I said, well, you have a fourth metatarsal stress fracture. And my wife does this interesting thing when she gets mad at me. Her pupils kind of dilate, kind of like on the National Geographic special when you see a cheetah that's crouching down in the grass, getting ready to pounce on a gazelle. Well, her eyes do that same little thing when she gets mad at me. And so her eyes did that when I said, you have a stress fracture. And she said, I can't have a stress fracture. And I actually started laughing. I said, what do you mean you can't have a stress fracture? You have a stressful job. You have a developing baby growing inside you. You just ran 10 miles. You get a stress fracture because of stress. That's why they call it a stress fracture. It's not called a run too much fracture, but I'm not crazy. I was not about to spend my vacation in Hawaii with my wife not running and wanting to kill me. So I did some creative things to take the stress off the fourth metatarsal and then said, okay, well, you know, why don't we do some stuff to stop the inflammation now and then try to run with it tomorrow, but maybe only run six miles and let's just see how it goes. So the bottom line is she continued to run, she continued to train, she continued to heal, and she didn't kill me. To me, that was a success. There was another patient I had who called me one time and he was training for Ironman Louisville. He'd been training hard for almost a year. He called me and he said, okay, so I have a, a metatarsal stress fracture. My doctor says I have to stop running for six weeks. And he was four weeks out from Ironman Louisville. 
And I said, okay, well, the, you know, the most reasonable thing to do would just be to skip the race, just sign up for next year. And he said, I can't do that. I'll get divorced. Now, his situation was that he wanted to do an Ironman. He had signed up for an Ironman. He'd been training for it. He owned his own business. They had three small kids, and his wife had been covering for him every Saturday and Sunday while he went off to do his long bike ride and his long run on the weekends. He just said, there's no way. I cannot continue to train for another year. I just want to go get this over with. And I just I said, okay, well, then we have to talk about your strategies and we have to talk about how bad it is and, and where you really are in this continuum. So again, he had had an MRI. Uh, he had had an x-ray. There was nothing on the x-ray. The MRI showed a whole bunch of inflammation in this one t metatarsal. So his doctor said, well, look at all that inflammation. You have to stop running. You can't do the race. You know, he was having pain when he was running, but he didn't really have that much pain when he pushed on it, just a little bit. So in my mind, this was like, okay, this is one of these stress fractures that could probably heal if he just takes some stress off of it. And again, I don't think he's probably going to take six weeks to heal because it seems to be a, a like a minor stress response, not like a true stress fracture where it's cracked. So I said, okay, why don't you do this? Why don't you not run at all until raceway? Just, it won't matter that much. You're going to start tapering in about a week anyway. So why don't you just cycle, cycle a lot, stay seated, ride as much as you want, ride you know, four or 500 miles a week, swim as much as you want, just don't run. Then when it comes race day, go do the swim, take off on the bike, do your bike ride. And then when you start the run, see how you feel. If it's killing you, walk. And if it starts to hurt worse and it's really killing you, then drop out. But what do you have to lose? You know, the chances are good that you'll finish this thing. Of course, he did ask, well, what's the worst case scenario? And I said, well, the worst case scenario with this is that you start running. It actually develops into a full-on metatarsal stress fracture. You keep running. You ignore the pain. The bone cracks. The bone moves, and it shifts out of place. That would be the very worst possible scenario. But... In that worst possible scenario, we can still fix that. It is surgery. Don't be confused about this. It would mean surgery, but we could realign the bone, put a little plate and some screws on it, and then you could continue to run later, and it would not really affect you long term. I mean, I know for a fact that if I broke my metatarsal and had to have surgery to have the bone realigned and fixated so it could repair itself in the normal position... A year later, I'd still be running, I'd still be doing Ironman triathlons, and it really wouldn't affect me long term. So you have to weigh that risk. You have to weigh the risk of doing your race or not doing your race, and then factor in whether or not it's worth the risk to you to consider the risk of surgery as a possible option for you if it continues to get worse as you run. But again, you can decide that once you get off the bike. You can start to walk. If it doesn't hurt, you can start to run. If it doesn't hurt when you're running, you can keep running. You just have to assess how you're doing when you start to run, and if you feel good, then keep running. So that's exactly what he did. He went to Ironman Louisville. He did a he had a decent swim. He had a pretty good bike ride, and then he got off and he was able to run. So he had a little bit of soreness, but it never got any worse. He continued to do well, and he finished pretty close to his goal time. So given that he was told he had a broken foot and he couldn't run and couldn't do the race at all, it's pretty amazing that he finished within about 30 minutes of his goal time at Ironman Louisville. So the point of these stories is just to drive home the fact that you don't always have to stop running to get a stress fracture to heal. You just have to decrease the stress enough to actually heal. So to explain this concept, I think it's important to understand the difference between a patient's threshold for injury and the threshold for recovery. Now, let's face it. Every runner understands they have a threshold for injury. 
you know, you know, if you um, sit on the couch, you don't train at all, there's, there's no risk of an overtraining injury. But if you do a marathon every day for, you know, the next 10 years, somewhere along there, you're going to get injured. Somewhere in between sitting on the couch and doing too much is your threshold for injury. That's the point at which you have done more tissue damage than your body can repair before your next workout and you get injured. So what you have to understand is that you have a threshold for injury and a threshold for recovery. And and although everybody understands the threshold for injury, nobody even talks about the threshold for recovery. Everybody thinks about your threshold for injury or recovery as this definitive line of this is how much activity you can do. But that's just not true. Like, and you think about this, you know that if you have a stressful work situation, you're stressed out at work, you have some emotional stressors, you're doing like a really uh, stressful work project, if you're barely sleeping and that changes your hormones and your ability to recover, you know that you're not going to be able to train as hard without getting injured. You know that if you eat a poor diet, your body can't rebuild tissue as fast and that nutritional stress will decrease the amount of distance you can run before you start to get injured and get an overtraining injury. You can move the line on your threshold for recovery, and if you can move the line, then that can allow you to train more without getting injured. It can also allow you to train a little bit more and still heal. So it's really important to try to evaluate the amount of stress in your life and then move the line so that you can train more and still recover. When it comes to metatarsal stress fractures, the bottom line is that you don't actually have to stop running, but you do have to lower the stress enough to recover and heal. So the real task that you and your doctor have when you think you have a stress fracture is to figure out how bad the stress fracture is, how bad the injury might be, and then you have to figure out how to reduce the stress enough so that you can actually keep running and keep healing all at the same time. The good news, of course, is that as an athlete, you are primed to recover quickly. Now, you need to think about this because all you do when you're training is that you're doing deliberate tissue damage that's going to help you build stronger muscles, bones, tendons, and ligaments, and everything else as it heals. You don't get stronger when you train. You get stronger when you recover. You get stronger when your body rebuilds tissue. Now, that daily tissue damage and tissue repair cycle that you have as you train your body to perform will not only work when you're training, but it will also work when you get injured. Remember, stress is cumulative. Mechanical stress like gravity, training, hill repeats, uh, lifting weights, those kind of things. Environmental stressors like getting exposed to exhaust from a car. Hormonal stressors, emotional stressors, nutritional stressors. It's all stress. You have to consider all of the stress that is present in your life, and then you have to try to manage and reduce the stress as much as possible. You have to take all of the factors into consideration and then figure out what you have to do to move the line on your threshold for recovery. And then you have to just deliberately alter the ways that you run and train so you can stay below your threshold for recovery and continue to stay fit and active. And if you do that, you can continue to run and continue to heal. You don't necessarily have to stop training. In many cases, you can train and heal and do well in your next key race. The bottom line is that you have to make sure you ask for more specific information and question your doctor whenever you see a doctor and you think you might have a stress fracture. Don't just accept all the myths about stress fractures at face value. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.